You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Thank you for listening today. I always say it. Thanks for tuning in. Without you, where are we, Ryan? God. God. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the infinite space between us and God. Yeah, I think that's where we are. We need you. We love you. We love that you tune in. I uh, hope you're having a glorious week. I hope you're hopefully you're taking care of yourself, doing something productive, having a little purpose in your life. Yeah. You know, um, my uh, good buddy Preston Christensen, he's uh, 16 years old. He has terminal cancer, and uh, I love the kid. And uh, going to visit him and his family, and uh, it's tough, man. You see a little kid so bright, so cheerful, so lovable, so smart and creative, and uh, it just sucks, man. But he's so strong. It's like, I God, I wish I was half as strong as this guy. But I want to give a shout out to him. He's a he's a beautiful beautiful soul, and uh, we probably have to play one of his songs. He has a song that he's never really sang other than playing a little guitar. But uh, he recorded a song. That's so nice. uh, actually, Does it... I have to edit this. Um, Is it streamable? No, it was it just, just he he did a cover of a of a uh, Blake Shelton song. Oh, cool. He's 16. He's never been in a recording studio before. And he did this at home or do you do this in a studio? No, a studio, but he just sang. They already had the music ready. Pretty good, huh? It's really good. I'm so proud of him. Listen to this chorus here. Anyway, big shout out to Preston. He's a killer. He's a he's a man of many talents, and I, I love him. And I love Michelle and Chris and the family. Thinking about you guys, and uh, you know, hey, thinking positively. That's what I'm doing. Thinking positively. Uh, great guest today, David Dasmalshin. If you don't know him, you should. Great story. He's Polka Dot Man in the Suicide Squad movie. He's he's in Dune. He's uh, he's always working now, and he is such an amazing person. Ant Man, Ant Man, uh, the, the cra- crazy guy from Dark Knight. Yep, that's a very famous scene. Done. He's just done a lot of great stuff, and he's going to get big and big. I, th- I see his Instagram just exploding, and uh, after uh, Suicide Squad, so I loved having him on the podcast. We're going to get right into that, but uh, first, thank you for joining me uh, this last Saturday on Stage It. We had two shows. We had uh, my buddy Tom Lally, who's in Left on Laurel with me, and he joined Sunspin, and we sang some old Left on Laurel songs, and it was a blast. Also, I'll be in Detroit with Tom Welling, and we'll do a Smallville Nights on December 15th, that weekend, Saturday and Sunday, so make sure you get tickets for uh, the Detroit Con. And uh, also, if you want to give back to the podcast, um, some people really support the podcast, uh, so many great patrons, but go to patreon.com slash inside of you. And join Patron, and um, so many great friendships have 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 what have 
spawned materialized materialized there we go come to be uh our handles are at inside of you podcast on the instagram and facebook and at inside of you pod on the twitter i hope you'll continue to support us and uh listen to the podcast there's so many podcasts out there but hopefully uh, every week you're listening to this one at least once or twice and telling all your friends please do we're also available on youtube if you want to watch it which is always fun but right now let's get into my dear friend um great great guy david dasmalchen it's my point of view you're listening to inside of you with michael rosenbaum Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Dude, it's great to see you. Where are you? I'm in Malta, the beautiful island country of Malta, which is about, I don't know, 100 miles, maybe not even 50 miles south of Sicily. Um, so we're in the middle of the Mediterranean, and I'm on my last leg of a very long and exhausting shoot. So it's so nice to see you. This is like you're the, the glimmer <laughs> of light at the end of the tunnel for me. That uh, like, I'm coming home. Yes, yes. Well, we all miss you. Uh, what are you shooting? I'm, uh, it's a film called The Last Voyage of the Demeter, and it's um interesting story. It is uh, lifted from a chapter from Bram Stoker's Dracula, and it's actually a story because I write as well, and it's a story I've always wanted to write into a, a screenplay. It's a fascinating tale. It reminds me of um, kind of like Alien, except set on a schooner in 1897. So it's the boat that travels from Bulgaria to London, and the crew doesn't realize that in the hold is the Prince of Darkness himself, Dracula, and all of his belongings, because he's moving himself to Carthac, Carfax Abbey in London. So the whole film takes place on this ship uh, from beginning to end, and um, wow. we've been living, we've been living the life of. It feels like I've been at sea for four and a half months, man. How often? How many crew members got sick? Oh, you know what? Um, we did a sailing thing, but most of the time we're on a controlled. There are um, we're we're in this giant tank on the edge of the sea. So, and it's like an infinity pool, like optical illusion. So I don't know, because if someone got sick, they weren't stuck with us. They could just hop off and get, get, get away. But I, <laughs> right. I saw at least four or five people and, and we're on, um, what do you call them? You know, the things that make something shake. What so is that, Ryan? always like, you know, doing this number in. Right. Effects machines or whatever that just kind of turn the boat and things like that. What, yeah, wow. Yeah, and yeah. you, and you wrote this. No, I I didn't. Sorry, I didn't. I I always wanted to always write wanted this to write film. this. Then, um, about two years ago, I pitched the idea um, to a friend who's an exec who said, "There's already a script and it's amazing and it's being made by Amblin." And then I just did everything I could to get an audition for the film, which I did. And miraculously, I got cast. So are you serious? What are the odds of that? You want to do something. You find out there's a script. You get an audition and you get the part. I went, I hadn't gone this hard and heavy after something in, I feel like since maybe like theater day, like I chased this thing, fought for this thing. I put together the best tape because this is COVID times. You know, I had to tape this audition with 
my lovely understanding and patient wife who helped me is three massive setups for the audition, big dialect work. It's a period piece. It's a character that's very much not like anything I've had the privilege of doing before. He, he moves differently than I've ever moved. He speaks differently than I've ever spoken. And so it was like, I, I almost built a whole character just for the, I mean, I did, I built, I built a whole role for just the audition and when when I sent it off, I honestly had a lot of peace because I said, there's there's just no way. There's just no way. And then lo and behold, like a few weeks wow. later. Well, what what did you do though? Like when you say like your yourself what we do here, if you're listening, you don't understand the process, is a lot of times you self-tape, especially with COVID, you put yourself on tape. Now your background, a lot of people will just use the background you have, a hotel room or wherever you're staying, and they'll just read the scene and hopefully they get cast. But you did more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were we were renting a house in Burbank because there was some um, emergency construction that we were having to do at our house. And so we were renting this house um, and the bedroom, for some reason, they had a uh, these drawstring curtains, I could never figured out what they were for on the, in, not for the windows, like going over the closet or going over one of the walls. I don't know, but there's three scenes that they sent me. Um, each one was three to five pages. It was a grand Whoa. total, like 12 pages of, of scene work. And the first scene is my character who is, um, the first mate of this ship. He's trying to round up a crew and it's a very loud, you know, abrasive kind of scene. Then there's a very confrontational scene, which takes place in the hold of the boat, um, which I wanted to do a completely different setup. So I did that against like a big wooden, um, you know, dresser. It looked like I was maybe, there was some wood, maybe it felt like a boat. And then for the last one, it was a really emotional scene. And we framed the camera like as close as probably I am here with you. And, um, and I just, you know, you got to just shoot for the fucking, sorry. You, gotta shoot you can for say the, the F, um, dude, we F all the time on this show. Oh, okay. You got to shoot for the fucking fence. You got to go, you got to swing. <laughs> and um, I reached out, the character I play is Polish. So I reached out to um, my friend who is big in, uh, he's a linguist and he's connected to people all over the language wow. community. Because I didn't want to go to a dialect coach. I wanted to actually work with a Polish speaker to get some specific nuance and and when when that wonderful person um, agreed to work with me for the audition, I said, if I book this, I'm going to hire you as my dialect coach. I put it out in the universe and I booked it and then I hired them to be my dialect coach and they've become a good friend. Did they come out with you or they have to just. They live in Poland and they um, we did all of our work through Zoom, but they are they have a background in theater and they love they just, they, they never worked professionally as a dialect coach, especially for a movie. Are you kidding? And they were like, right. this is so cool. So um, we had them down to Berlin because we were shooting in Berlin for the first few months. So they came down to Berlin and they uh, got to come to, because of COVID again, it's like so ridiculous. Like they can't come within 400 feet of the whatever, but they got to at least go to, we shot the, the Berlin stuff at Babelsberg Studios, which anyone watching, look it up. It's one of the most historic um, film studios in the world. I want to say it's the oldest. Uh, I could be wrong. I have my little book on 100 facts about Babelsberg. Yes. But it's a really amazing place where they filmed um, 
Metropolis, Fritz Lang's Metropolis. They filmed um, tons of, you know, Marlena Dietrich stuff. And um, so anyway, yeah, they came and hung out. And uh, you really do and, the work. Like I, I, I hear a lot of actors and a lot of times we'll just, you know, we'll just do it whatever, but you really dive into something, and especially an audition that you don't know you're going to get, and you're probably thinking, eh, I probably won't get it. I don't know what your mindset is, but to work so hard on 15 pages of dialogue and different setups and uh, working with a dialects coach, I mean, that's extreme to try and get a role, but you think that that's the way you get roles. That's what you're saying. Same. What works for me, and I think this is everyone's journey, as you know, is so specific to the individual. It's so it's so weird what we do, and the whole path is so strange and elusive, and it feels so much like the lottery so often. So the, the things that are within my control, which I can have some say-so in, is my energy and where I'm going to put the energy. And I, when it comes to something that I want to go after – um, like doggedly, like there's something that I, I, I just, I, I know I, I, I will, I will focus the energy on that and possibly maybe not do, you know, five or six auditions in a month, but maybe just focus on that one or that two thing, but give it all I've got, which is really tricky and it's risky. And it takes a lot of, um, a lot of overcoming my fear because you second guess yourself a lot and you go, Oh, maybe I would have done better. Maybe that other one would have been easier. Maybe, blah, 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 blah. but you just, I try to make really, you know, and this, like I said, this was a story that when I first read Dracula uh, 20 years ago, probably I, I've read the book numerous times since I always said, Rosie, like what a story. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, yeah. It's like alien at sea in the 1800s, you know? It's like, it's so scary. And I think that um, the guy who's directing it, his name's Andre Overdahl. He made um, a film called Troll Hunter. He made oh, my called- God! Yeah, Guys, if amazing. you have not seen Troll Hunter, it is awesome. It's he's a movie. So- oh. God, dude, he's such a visionary. He did the autopsy of Jane Doe, yep. which I loved. He yep. did um, uh, uh, scary stories to tell in the dark, which I went and saw when I was in it uh, by myself in a movie theater. Oh, I loved wow. it. Um, good hands. But he is, yeah. And 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 to go, by the way, just saying, going along with the the audition tape, I wrote a letter to the director, um, telling him not only my you know passion for the material, but um, you know, that I'm, that how much I loved Troll Hunter. And um, also, I don't know if you know this about me, but when I was in college, I went to the theater school, DePaul, which is where Sean Gunn, which is where Michael Rooker, which is where Judy Greer, a bunch of our friends went. But um, when I was there, I was on a scholarship for academics, but I didn't have any money to pay for my housing. So I had to take a break from school and I went to Alaska and lived as a fisherman on a boat for a year and then I did it several times after and being at sea is um something I always thought was going to be part of my my life and then obviously acting became my my and you told him this you told him this I did I said I've lived on a boat I think I could offer some insights I um wow I think you're amazing and I you know and I of course tried to be as gracious as possible like obviously you know um, 
I cheer for this film, no matter what, whether I'm involved or not, I know you're going to make an awesome movie. And, um, and then I, I got the call. Inside of you is brought to you by Netflix, Battle Creek, Michigan, 1963. Kellogg's and Post, sworn cereal rivals, race to create a pastry that will change the face of breakfast forever. A wildly imaginative tale of ambition, betrayal, and menacing milkmen, sweetened with artificial ingredients. Unfrosted stars Jerry Seinfeld in his directorial debut. It features a supporting cast of comedy, greats, including Melissa McCarthy, Jim Gaffigan, Hugh Grant, Amy Schumer, Max Greenfield, Christian Slater, Sarah Cooper, Bill Burr, and many more. Friday, May 3rd, only on Netflix. Inside of You is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. This is an amazing platform. I use it on both podcasts. It has worked wonders for me. It's so amazing how easy it is to navigate. If you want to sell products, T-shirts, soap scents, whatever whatever it is, Ryan, you want to sell, this is the way to do it. Uh, you can see what your best seller is right there, analytics, uh, how much you're making this month, uh, what products are selling the best. It's really fantastic. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Did you have, did, was it more than that one audition or was that it? Was that enough? Or he that was it. That was it. And so to give your, um, your viewers a little context too, I have been without um, the benefit of representation, either management or agent for, it was about four, four years when, I booked this job. It had been since the end of 2016. Wait a um, minute. You represent yourself? I did. I did. And then just in the last month, I've actually found a partnership that I really like for management. But I did represent myself. I have a great attorney who handles my um, 
you know, contract negotiations. And he is, when I land the job, then I pass everything over to him, but I have been kind of hunting and chasing. So with this particular job, I found out who was casting it. I reached out to them directly and sent my materials over. And then they said, you know, there's really nothing for you in this film. Um, but you know, and, and that was all I heard. And then about two weeks later, I, um, I have a mutual, um, contact with the director. I had said, please, you know, let Andre know if there's anything I could do. And the, and the friend said, he said, you're a fantastic actor. There's nothing for you in this film. What? And then I said, okay, I tried, I did my best. Another week later, I got an email from the casting director saying, we know this is not your normal wheelhouse, but if you want to take a stab at this character, you know, we'd love to see what, what, what you would do with it. And again, I read it and I was like, holy crap, I've never done anything like this uh, in my career. This character is so, um, I understand him, but yet I've never had the opportunity to get to bring someone like him to life. And so I... I threw myself into it. I sent that audition tape, the letter and everything to casting. About a month went by. And at that point, I was starting to look at, okay, what's my next passionate thing? You know, is there, is there something else out there that I really want to fight for or go after? And I wasn't, nothing was definitely coming in my, in my whatever radius. And I just, I sent an email to the casting director and I said, just checking in and wrote back and they said actually the director really loved your material but um we are we're still a ways away from making a decision well a tv show a very cool seeming tv show uh emailed me uh, and said you know we are our, our producers and director are interested in in having you be a part of this a show um and i was like oh that's amazing thank you and I immediately went back to the casting director and I said, this offer is coming in now to go and be, I'd be out of, I'll be out of the touch for like five months. So I just want to make sure, you know, and they wrote back, thank you, but there's no way we can't make a decision for a while. I like the, I like the, uh, sort of like the way your mind works, how, how you did that. It was kind of a manipulation in, in a, in a good way. Like, Hey, I just got hired for something. But I really want to do this project. Are you sure you're. But okay, so go ahead. This is this is good. Well, and and then Friday morning, I got up. I was in the shower. I had a, a phone call ringing from a three one zero Beverly Hills um, number, and I answered it. And it was the business affairs office from Amblin Entertainment calling to say they wanted to start contract negotiations on um, the movie. Holy and shit! And I was butt naked, and I ran <laughs> out of the shower, and I grabbed Eve, and um, yeah. My God, the work, by the way, can I hear it? Or I mean, I know most actors don't want to do this, but can I hear a Polish accent just a little? Uh, here's the thing about Polish, what's different with, because if you've seen any of some of the recent years work I've been doing with um, like Eastern European characters, there's, I've definitely done Russian in, a, in several roles and I've done, um, Actually, uh, like a, it was it was because the character was kind of disguising himself, but like a very blanket Eastern European. Um, and that's good. So with Polish, one of the things that's uh, I found to be quite different was um, some of the rounding of the vowels um, 
and uh, even the way, like if you're thinking about something, you and I might go, mm, you know, when you're when you're in character and you're trying to like communicate that like you're considering something. There's these little minutia details that I was so grateful to have Han, uh, my my friend, my 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 friend who dialect coached me, because um, I'd be like practicing a line and be like, mm, uh, and they would be like, no, 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 we don't do that. We say. Eh. I do eh. <laughs> I want to learn. Like, give give me a sentence. See if I could do it. Go ahead. Um, okay. Um, um, how about this? Is a simple one. Pull you bastards. Pull. pull. He's just saying pull you bastards. Pull. Pull like, you bastards. Pull. pull you bastards. And roll that ba- R at bastards. Pull you bastards. Pull. pull. Come on, man. Join the boat. Join the Get boat. Oh man, that's. Yeah. It's a cool cast too because it's got. Um, I'm the only Polish character. There's a Russian character. There's a Norwegian character. There's an, a several English characters. Two Irish characters. I want to see this. This sounds so cool. What's it called again? Right so we can look out for. I don't know when it's going to come out because you're just still filming it. What's it called? Yeah, so yeah. people put it on the radar. It's called Last Voyage of the Demeter. Uh, although, who knows what it'll be it called be... when it comes out a year from now? You know, it might it be could... called like vampire boat who knows or it could be called dracula's journey or p- the prince's <laughs> I, journey the ss dracula ss dracula i am Dra- i am dracul remember uh, uh gary oldman i am dracul he was so oh good in that God, mina i have what is it mina i have what is he what is the big saying he, i have it on my poster because he signed it to me i have crossed oceans of time to find you. Didn't you love him in that? He's so great, he's man. So he's great, so great man. in everything. But Dracula, Coppola's oh, Dracula is like go-to for me. And there is, if you go back and watch the movie, there's a little snippet where you see the boat come into port in London. You see a wolf jump off yep. of the deck. That's Dracula. Um, and that that was, so this movie is about that whole journey of that boat. Because in the book, the boat comes to port and there's nobody on board except for the captain who's lashed to the wheel. And um, so you got to see what happens. Wait a minute, bro. Are you saying that the Polish guy dies? <laughs> I just no, became I, a Jew. Well, my, never, my character was too I Jewish. I would though. never say that. I no. I am. I look at every movie as if I'm the hero of the movie. So my character never, my characters never die. You know, what's funny is that, you know, I was talking to my engineer, Ryan, Ryan, say hi. Hi. Hi, Ryan. Um, and you can't see Ryan, but you should, he's a very handsome man. Um, but you know, I was like, you know, if you say David, um, Das Malchin, a lot of people wouldn't know who you were talking about. If you said Michael Rosenbaum, a lot of people wouldn't know what you were talking about. If they saw your face, though, that's what he said. He goes, when you see his face, you're like, oh, I've, I've seen him. I've seen him in a lot of things. And you're kind of like that guy who's done a lot of great work, but like this character actor. And then you start to dissect it and you're like, okay, and how old are you? Uh, 45. 45. Wow, you don't look 45. You look younger. I'm not hitting on you. Either. Thank you. Yes, it's all the Evian skin cream. Um, but a, a movie comes along like Suicide Squad, and and we'll get into that. But like, I look online and there's a McFarlane figure of you now. Do you know that? And it looks like you. I don't have any doll that looks like me. I mean, you know you've made it when McFarlane makes a doll of you. 
I mean, it's it's it's, it's a true. huge thing because you've been doing all these characters. You're a writer. You're a director. You've been through it all. And at 45, you land a role. And I noticed this because I kept checking because I'm weird that your Instagram just kept going up and up. It was like 120, 140, 160, 200, 220, 240. Like all these people are following you and your your IMD pro meter number was just going down and down and down and down's good because the lower numbers is. And I'm like, good for fucking Dave Dosmolchin. I mean, how do you feel right now? We're going to get in this because I want to go back in time a little bit. Because, but um, how are you feeling about all this? Thank you for asking. Thank you for the compliments. I love you. You know, I'm a huge fan of your work. And I've been a fan of your work since long before I actually met you in person on the back porch at James Gunn's house. I've been a fan of yours for a very long time. So that's very nice. It touches my heart. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I Two things. The first is I have been in a bubble for since June. I was in Berlin with my family and then to Malta come, you know, beginning of um, August. And in both of those bubbles, we are not only in a COVID bubble for, bubble for pr- production, but also the bubble of like my reality has been being on this boat fighting Dracula or being with my family and <laughs> completely out of touch with everything that's going on in the rest of my life, including, you know, family back home and my things happening with my career back home. And so my kind of context and connection to all of this has been through social media and like texts and the, the, my phone. And so that has been weird, but nice. People have been very nice and thank God. Um, people have been very supportive of some of the stuff recently that's, you know, blown up, but, um, the other thing, and I'm glad, and I hope we can talk about this today because I know you're not going to shy away from talking about, um, you know, the stuff that is a little more, you know, awkward or uncomfortable. And I'm, I'm I've been wrestling with this. I've been, um, I've, I've been in kind of a, a uh, uh, I, I've been definitely below my baseline, erring towards the depressive because I, I can go down to, to, to deep depression and I can go way up into, you know, high anxiety and, and, and manic modes. And so finding my baseline is kind of part of my daily journey, if you will. It's my lifelong journey, just being at peace and serene with like that baseline. Being, I'm struggling with the fact that I feel so grateful that like you're saying, like my followers all of a sudden doubled and tripled and quadrupled and people were being so gracious and kind and um, neat new professional opportunities were kind of flowering and lots of exciting, wonderful, neat things happening. Um, And yet my family had to leave uh, and go back to the U S about a month ago. And that's really hard for me. They are a big part of my, um, not only my support system, but kind of just uh, probably in an unhealthy way. I am, I am insanely dependent upon even the kids for a lot of my, um, uh, settling and baselining and, and I need to work on that because I am a grown adult and I should be able to do that without, you know, leaning on others, but they, they are, they're a big part of that. And, um, and I faced some really difficult 
moments in the course of making this film that I'm working on that made me feel dark. And those were both creative moments and also just production moments, to be quite frank. And someday we'll have coffee and I can download you on all of it. But it's yeah. just needless to say, you know, sometimes this business can really make you f- really hurt. And um, and so all these wonderful things are happening. And, and then at night, I'm laying there feeling really blue and dark. And I've been wrestling with this kind of a sense of guilt over not just being like so happy all the time that like James's movie turned out so awesome and people loved it. And, you know, Polka Dot Man's so cool and the Dune stuff looks so cool and uh, so many neat things are happening. And, and so that... I've been wrestling, to be honest, lately. In other words, you're wrestling with the fact that you have so much to be grateful for, but you feel so down, which is making you upset that you're feeling so down about all the good that's happening around you, and you quite can't quite understand it or wrap your head around it. But maybe is it something that you've dealt with your whole life, where you know you have ups, but you're still feeling down? You, I mean, this this isn't something that's just happened on this movie set. Absolutely not, and um, I've definitely been it's been some insanely challenging, you know, um, things and just some chemical things, I'm sure, you know, just my brain naturally, some reaction to, I think the overwhelming sense that, uh, a lot of people were like looking at you, you know, that that's a weird thing when you're in a TV show or when you're in a movie and all of a sudden you realize how many people are just like looking at you and you become, come, can, you, 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 you can become like grossly, um, self-conscious. I mean, I'm sure you, I'm sure all of us experience that as actors. And, um, so I am, as we speak, doing the work, like getting up early, trying my best to make sure I get out of bed when I don't have to, even though I would be tempted to stay in it for too long, trying to eat well, trying to do my yoga, trying to do my meditations, uh, doing my therapy. Um, and I guess, I just always look at these public conversations as like an opportunity to hopefully, if anybody's listening, that seems like, my God, I have a beautiful partner. I have a job that I love. I have things that I love. And yet I still feel like I've got the blues. What's wrong with me? The answer is nothing. Nothing's wrong with you. You're, this is just an unfortunate paradox of, you know, the human psyche sometimes. And I think um, I just happen to be in it. So that's a, you were not, you did not ask for that. No, I, I welcome, Sorry, you but. know that I welcome that on this show, especially with people listening, because I think everybody just assumes that we all are happy and we should be grateful and, and, and we are, but there's, there's a thing called mental illness. There's a thing called depression. There's a thing called anxiety. There's a thing that a lot of us get. And a lot of my guests that are big stars and they, they get it. And it's, it's sort of, We've got to sort of break the norm of, of you know what's you know supposed you know we're not supposed to be depressed. Of course we are. We're fucking human beings. This is just life. And but you've been dealing with this your whole life. I mean, you you know we could go back to, and I didn't know this until recently. But you're so open about it that you know you had a you had a heroin addiction. I mean, and you, how old, how old were you when this happened? I first started using, um, when I was around 18, um, and that evolved into full-time usage by, uh, 
Uh, I mean, 18 was like an experimenting and experimenting with all different kinds of opiates. But then I started using full time um, from 21, 20, 21 to 26, right. uh, which is when I got clean. Man, I got to do the math. But yeah, I, I want to say 26 or 27. Um, wow, that's a long time because most of the time you hear if you do heroin once, you're going to die because you're going to. Because you're going to, you know, I am so lucky. And I, I use that word delicately because yes, I did work hard. Yes. I got the support of an amazing recovery support group. And, you know, I had family that even though they had to like write me off and tough, not write me off, they had to cut me off and tough love me and like not pick up the phone. They never gave up on me. If that that makes sense. You know, I think in recovery, it's so tempting to like let the person crash on your couch, let the person borrow 50 bucks, let the person get a new phone. They had to cut that shit out, but they always said, we're here. We love you, blah, blah, blah. And friends too. But so, but luck, I do feel this immense. And that's one of the things that helps me on this journey of battling my blues is every day taking an inventory of things that I'm grateful for. And I have so much to be grateful for, not least of which is the fact that I'm just alive, that I didn't end up in prison, that I didn't end up dead. Um, and I'm here. So it's, uh, it's nothing short of a miracle. And, um, so you say your gratitudes every day, you, you say your gratitudes in the morning. I do my best. I fail sometimes, but I, when I'm, when I'm pissed off and feeling resentful, um, sometimes I'm like, fuck, why? Blah, 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 you know, and then take some break breathing. If you can just, if you can just give five minutes to shift the way you're breathing and the way your body's like contacting space. I, it always helps. Again, anybody watching, like it sounds so ridiculous and new agey, but like if you can give yourself a timeout and just take five minutes to change the way you're breathing, the way your brain is getting its oxygen, everything, oof, then I can go over and be like, oh my God. Eve married me. <laughs> that's all I've ever seen for the rest of my life. She fucking married me. Like oh. that's gratitude forever. That's an endless fountain of fucking gratitude. Um, I have beautiful kids. I have incredible friends. I have, I'm clean and sober, you know, miraculously for another day. I'll, I'll never um, wave a victory flag or say that I've defeated the monster that is addiction. I believe that, you know, it lives around always kind of waiting you know and yeah that's just a good metaphor for me to keep it in check you know i i um and it's one of the reasons why i i used to fuck around a lot back when i first started getting clean and i'd be like i was so resentful that like i could hang out with people i really dug and they could just put away three glasses of wine and then they'd walk away and they'd maybe drink next week i'd be around people who could smoke pot you know for me my disease it like it, it just, it never worked. Every time I would just pick up the one thing, it would just ultimately spiral really fast and lead back to me copping. And so I- uh, You can never have one drink or one smoke. It'd be like, you'd have to- I get... just don't, I don't see the point in, it's been 19 years now, Rosie. Jesus. 19 years. Congratulations, I man. I don't see the point in spinning that roulette wheel, you know, and like- why would I, I just, uh, but that's, that's like I say, I would never be like, I've got that. Cause I feel, I bet the house that I could drink a glass of wine tonight and not use tomorrow. I would bet the house. Am I going to take that risk though? Am I going to make that bet? Oh, no dude, because 
it just, it's, it would, it, it, it makes no sense. Well, because then it probably starts, a, I did it then, I could do it again, and I could do it again until you really yep. fuck up and you go down, down that hole. Yep. And I was also treating um, undiagnosed, you know, mental issues that thankfully, as I got into recovery, and I came up against a lot of, um, you know, conflict in the recovery community and anybody, uh, who, who is, who has been, who has experienced the recovery community or anyone who's ever been privy to it knows that there's as much inner, um, uh, infighting and different opinions about how things work as there are in like religious religions. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so crazy. And there are people that are, were like taking psychiatric medications was some form of, you know, drug use. And I was like, well, <laughs> tough shit. I'm taking, <laughs> I, I, I worked with a great psychiatrist and I found a medication that worked incredibly well for me after, you know, a lot of work. And, um, that's a part of my journey as well, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the only, uh, that my allergy medicine, I take something for cholesterol, uh, some vitamins, some right. fish oils, um, some proteins, those are the only things I'm ingesting. Anymore. Do you think that you were like, you know, were there reasons sometimes people just get into something like, you know, drugs, but was there a depression then? Was there some sort of imbalance before that kind of prompted you to get into that? For certain. And I think um, I've always wanted to talk to you about your experience considering, you know, what you did with Impastor, like the how much research or digging you did into religious world or where that, you know, affected you personally, or if you had any experience with that, I was raised very religiously to the point that when I started exhibiting um, suicidal ideation and depressive behavior at a pretty young age, pre pre pubescent, like 10, 11, I was, um, you know, uh, I had my first like full on planned suicide and um, I was treated with um, religious counseling, like Christian counseling, where, you know, you sit with the guy and he tells you that you're, you know, feeling anxiety because you've been whacking off and he gives you some scriptures to read. And that's your, that's your treatment. And, um, God love my parents. They just didn't know better. I'm not blaming them, but I, uh, I think then when I first got my, my hands around a Budweiser bottle (laughs) and I felt that sweet, sweet, elixir hit my lips and i was like oh i feel like kind of normal and then it was like what else could make me feel normal and then it was just the quest you know wow i mean so so at an early age you were already getting these suicidal thoughts you already knew something was not quite right and your parents didn't know how to help you so it just kind of uh you went into a tailspin i guess eventually right yeah and they couldn't control it i was I was what you call high functioning in the sense that like I was definitely uh, scholastically, you know, above average throughout high school. I participated in uh, extracurricular activities. I, I loved theater and the arts. I also loved sport and I loved um, having a good time, obviously. But, you know, I was um, it was a dangerous concoction because I was very good at I mean, I was a good actor, but I was good at pretending like, you know. I was, I was okay. And I think, yeah. um, 
How did you get off it? How, what was the final? Because you used to have to hit, I guess you have to hit rock bottom before something happens, right? And I was homeless. I was homeless. Um, anybody who is checking out this conversation and, and, and you know, wants to, I, I wrote and acted in a film that my dear friend Colin Shipley Animals. Called Animals, yes. And if you guys ever get a chance to check it out, it's not my biopic, but it is definitely inspired by the reality and in the film you know a guy and his girlfriend live in their car and i did i lived in a car for quite a while i was stealing um anything i could to resell to support my habit i was um i it was it was terrible man i was um thoroughly ashamed of myself as soon as i would start to get sick or come down and withdrawal the shame and the guilt of what I had done with my life and all this opportunity, having been a privileged white kid from Kansas city who had gotten to go study acting at this amazing school was spending his throwing his life away on like smack. I was like, I was so ashamed and so embarrassed. And I, the voices that were like, you're no good to the world. You're no good to anybody who loves you. Cause all you do is continue to bring them misery and suffering. Why, why don't you do everybody one solid in your life like finally do that one solid and actually think about everyone but yourself for a minute and just be done and just end it and so um i made the most serious i made several i mean i've made several attempts in my life but the most serious attempt which i came you know as close as you probably can come um uh to committing suicide and by a miracle, nothing short of a miracle, I survived. I was put into a um, uh, state psychiatric facility in Illinois. I there was able to spend 30 days without drugs because I was kind of strapped to a cot. And then um, as I came out of that, I had learned some basic tools and I had gotten a taste of recovery and the potential of what was there. And my family was right there to say, we love you. We're here to support you. And I realized that all that illusion that my brain had been, you know, tricking me into was, um, was just that an illusion and that I was going to use these tools that I had started to learn. Um, and I fucked up numerous times. It took me a whole other year from that point to continue to relapse, continue to disappoint myself and others continue to like, screw up, but I, I got there, man. And, um, awesome. I spent a num uh, like three or four years in Chicago, just working a day job and smoking cigarettes and writing. And I never thought I would get to act again. I never thought I would get to, um, you know, be creative in a professional sense, but I definitely was grateful because I had a futon and a TV and a cat and, <laughs> um, and then sure as shit, some friends of mine from the old theater days, saw me working in the movie theater where I was working at nights and were like, you gotta be, we're doing this Oscar Wilde player. We're doing, I'm starting a theater company. And they kind of pulled me lovingly back to where I belonged, uh, which was up on, up on stage, up, you know, it's, memorizing yeah. text and creating characters. That's it's where you belong. It's amazing how your mind, when especially when you're on something, can just go to one one place, which is let me do the world a favor by ending it, as opposed to let me get clean and be successful and that way. Let's go that way. But you don't think of that way. There's nothing left. You know what I mean? It's 
that's that's what it does. It just clouds your thoughts and just it's it just depresses you even more and more. It is a miracle that you're. I'm so glad you're alive. Thanks, man. Me I too. mean, Jesus. But you know, animals. I hear there was a rumor that for a long time you didn't want to associate yourself with the character exactly. Is that right? Like you didn't want you you yes. thought that where you didn't want people to think, oh, this is me. You're like, this is just a character I wrote, and it's not me. And it took you time to really sort of say, hey, this is actually is based on me. That's true. I I felt like once I started to work as an actor that the stigma around both, you know, mental illness and addiction were going to cloud or impede my ability to get opportunities, um, which is probably just me projecting my own still shame that I was working through onto myself. Um, so when we went into making animals, I said to Colin, I said to Mary Pat, who Mary Pat Bentel, who was one of our producers on the film. I said to Eve, my wife and everybody else. I was like, we don't need to talk about the fact that I was an addict. Like I'm here as a resource if we have any questions, but like, I don't want people to know. And they all gently would say, you know, why? Of course. <laughs> we, well, well, first they would go, we respect your anon anonymity. And anybody, again, who's watching or listening know that, like, if you choose to get clean and sober, your anonymity is sacrosanct. And you never have to tell people. You don't have to. And I didn't have to at all. What was beautiful was the reassurance from, like, Eve and Colin and Mary Pat and all my other friends that were like, we think this movie is going to be really powerful. We think there's an opportunity for you to, you don't have to preach to anybody. You don't have to tell them how to do it. You don't have to tell them where to go to rehab. You don't have to tell them which meeting to go to just seeing, because at that point I would have been I don't know, 10 years, 11 years clean. Um, just seeing that in itself is a, is an example that can inspire people. And so um, we were filming a particularly challenging, every day on that movie was so hard. Um, and, and, and a reporter from the Chicago Tribune came to set, to do like a set visit and, and an interview about filming in Chicago. And we went for a walk around Uptown and she said, um, we had a really lovely conversation. And then she said, you know, where did this story come from? And um, I was, you know, standing on a corner of a neighborhood in Uptown where I had first started to live when I had gotten clean and um, I kind of saw it all come into focus. And I said, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> here's my story. And ever since then, it's been nothing but beautiful. But again, you're not required to do that. I mean, 13-stepping, 12-stepping, however you choose to go about sharing your message, if you are, you know, in the road recovery is beautiful, but it's not required. You can always keep your privacy and go to meetings. You don't have to tell anybody. For me, it has become one of the great gifts, speaking, doing interviews, talking about it, and um, giving people hopefully just a little glimmer of like that it can really happen. I love that. I love that you're so open about it because there are people out there that need help that need to hear this. And they have to know that they don't have to say anything if they don't want to. And if they feel open to talk about it, to help other people, they can do whatever they want. Um, not to say this is funny, but it kind of amused me. Um, is it true that in the premiere of the movie, you were sitting next to Eve's dad and there was a scene where he was inject the character was injecting heroin in his own penis. 
and uh, you sat next to your wife's father during this. How uncomfortable was that? <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, oh. it was about a 450. Um, <laughs> and get this, I was by myself. So Eve, Colin, and the rest of the team was in, we had a, a, a we released in like 14 cities through Oscilloscope when we came out. So the premiere in LA happened the same night as the premiere in New York. So I was the only person repping the film in New York. And Eve is from New York. So her incredible family who loves me so much and they're so supportive. And I'm like, God, can you imagine when I started dating Eve, you got to know I was an ex junkie, a divorcee, an actor, uh, like can you imagine? And her dad and her, her mom, they were both so, open to loving me and getting to know me. And I'll, I'll always be so grateful. So I'm sitting there next to her dad and we had, you know, he had said, you know, like put the hand on this. You're like, I'm very proud of you. I, I know you've been through a lot. And I'm really proud of you. You know, really, really glad you're here, but we'd never like gotten into it. You know, yeah. and we're sitting there. There's a scene where I'm jamming a needle in my groin. There's a scene where my butt cheeks are out. There's a scene where this guy's asking this girl if he could come on her face. I mean, it is like a rough oh, ride. Boy. You know? Oh boy. And what did and he? They were, and they, you know what they 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 had tears in their eyes and they gave me big hugs when the movie was over and I was, I'll always be so grateful to Eve's family because oh my god I think that would that would have that freaked me out as a dad if I came walking in the door. <laughs> yeah, I could just imagine her father sitting there and it's just like his eyes were like no, stay straight, keep looking forward, don't look at him. Don't look don't at look him. At don't look don't at put him. your don't hand on him. him. You're thinking about patting his leg like it's okay. Don't do it. Maybe he didn't do that. I don't know. Let's just keep it going. Let's just keep watching this film. But wow. I mean, I don't, I, I know my parents, I couldn't have done that. Uh, my parents, it, it sound, kudos to her family. They and they accept they you. Were. That's the whole part of it too, is being accepted yes. for your flaws or whatever. Um, I think it's a beautiful thing. Look. They do. They accept me and they love me and they've never made me feel like anything other than, and I'm not, I don't fit in great with, you know, I mean, her dad's a, a golf guy and, um, you know, he's sports guy and he's very, you know, he's, he's run nursing homes his whole life. And, um, but you know what I love about them? They always try to find a common ground with me and they always connect with me. And I, I try to do the same and, and they, you know, they're, they're my family, you know, they're yeah. like, um, uh, I'm just so lucky. I married, um, I married a, a woman who has such an amazing family and i've got an amazing family too and i i love um i love eve's relationship with my my family as well it's that's really great it's rare it's rare i mean yeah. you've done dune ant-man you've done all these roles suicide squad comes up and i remember that james gunn there was a video that was made uh it was where uh him, James Gunn, and Dave, Dave, our, our good buddy Dave, were singing uh, a song from what? Set it up. Blue Velvet. Blue the Velvet. In Dreams sequence from uh, Blue Velvet. Yes. Uh, Dave, yes. And yes. who directed it? Dave? Dave directed it. And, and James right. played the Dennis Hopper character um, from Blue Velvet. And Dave played um, the... Um, Dean Stockwell character. I played the Kyle McLaughlin character and they basically, Dave wanted to recreate that incredible sequence from blue velvet. And, um, yes. And it, it was amazing. It's really 
captivating, riveting. I love it. I laugh my ass off when I saw it because it's all my friends in the video. And James says that it's from this little video that you did. Tell me if I'm wrong. But he said you had, like, the way you were filmed was so unique and you had such an incredible face that that's where he, he, you popped in his mind about Polka Dot Man. Is that true? I believe that is true. I believe that he, uh, he I, I heard him say that, that he was watching me that night when we were filming and he was like, I, that's, that, that's, it's either that's my polka dot man or that guy has got such a crazy look on his face that I got to do something with, with him. Um, and, uh, what a gift, man. What a gift. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's such a interesting thing. Like, I don't think I've ever talked about work with you. I don't know if I've ever talked about work with James, had ever talked about work with James. I don't think most of my friends who do what we do, it's like when we get together, we're either playing games or we're talking about politics or who knows what we're talking about, but right. it's never like work stuff. So you just don't think the, opportun the, the opportunity to get to collaborate with your friends, which now after the last couple of years, I am so fucking committed to like, creating stories and opportunities where me and my friends can collaborate because it's just, I'll remember that. I'll no remember. I'll remember I mean, that. seriously, dude, me and Steve <laughs> AG are like Love writing them. stuff right now. I've got, I write all the time. I'm always now from, I'm committed to this because life is so short, man. It's so short. And I, I love what we do, but I would love, I love it even more when you're getting to like do it with people that you, Love. And not to say that there's not wonderful people you meet on the journey and you meet sure. strangers and they become your friends, but eh, like how great would it be if we got to, you know, it's that's exactly right. To work you know? with your friends is something special to be able to hire your friends on something is, is just, it's unique. It's hard to be able to do. And I mean, not really. I mean, you could shoot things for free and just hire your friends and keep doing it and have fun yep. on all different levels. Give me the conversation when James called you. And uh, told you you want you you want to play. He texted me. He texted um, you. He texted me. I was in uh, Scotland. Um, I wrote another film with a mutual friend of ours. Uh, I didn't write it with her, but she starred in it. Um, called All Creatures Here Below, which Karen Gillan um, stars in. Yep. And so I was in Scotland at the Glasgow Film Festival presenting the movie. So we were like six hours ahead of, maybe seven hours ahead of James. And he texted me kind of late for me, like 11 or 12 at night. And he said, I want you to be part of the Suicide Squad. And I was like, because I knew he was making the movie and I was so excited because I, I, I like just loved the idea of James Gunn making the Suicide Squad. Right. And um, so then I called him right back and, you know, he was like, I want you to play Polka Dot Man. And I was like, I, 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 you, you know this about me. I'm a huge comic nerd. I've been collecting comics my whole life and I know nothing about the Polka Dot Man. I knew nothing about April. <laughs> right. I was thoroughly embarrassed because I've always been excited at the prospect that if I ever got like a big role in like a superhero movie, I'd be the guy that would be like, oh, well, which phase are we talking about? Was it, you know, and who, which writer were we, uh, which was the inspiration? And I was like, but you knew nothing. I knew nothing. And then, he sent me the script and it was just, it was so beautiful, man. It was so incredible. And I, um, he didn't know this about me, but I have, um, 
vitiligo, these spots, can you see them on the like camera? A little bit, yes. Body. Yep. Um, and um, I... So it's kind of a white I, patch, like white patches, right? I have right? white patches basically all over my body that haunted me as a kid and were, you know, the things that we think others are judging us by or care about, you know, are so just were so wrong so much of the time, but that, that was something that really, I got, I did get picked on about it. And, um, and I had, I had polka dots, uh, spots, milk mustache. I had a lot of bad nicknames, but, um, Jesus, I said to him, like, you don't even know how incredible this role, this opportunity is. And not to mention the fact that I have these spots. And he was like, I don't even know that. He's like, I've been friends with you for, at that point, five or six years, maybe. And he was like, I had no idea. Unbelievable. You, you know, Eve doesn't know that I'm talking to you. She's trying to call me. Eve, her, I'll call you back. Say, Eve, I'm talking to Rosenbaum. You know this because I told her last night. Um, I'm not saying this because you're just with me. But I've told everybody when I see the movie that you steal the movie entirely. I thought that your character it was absolutely my favorite character. It was touching. I just the way you played it. If you haven't seen Suicide Squad, your character Polka Dot Man is superb. It's superb thank the you, way you play thank it. You, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I just had to trust myself. James wrote. I mean, he he created something so beautiful in all of his care. He never underwrites a character. Obviously it's James Gunn. He's going to like write every one of his characters with like 360 degrees, fully, you know, dimensional. Um, but I felt such a special connection to this. And anytime I was trying to put any English on it, anytime I was trying to really, you know, gleam it up or anything, it was so great. Cause he could come in and just be like, you ain't got to do nothing. Just be honest. Just say the lines. Cause I, and, and it's, and he knew, you know, I felt the way that polka dot man has felt a lot, maybe not in such extreme ways. Maybe I don't have an intergalactic virus, but I do have <laughs> things that I'm ashamed of. And I have felt, you know, obviously depressed. And, um, yeah. so yeah, it was, um, and you know what? Thank you for saying that too. I, I just, I feel like everybody steals that movie. It's, it's I know there's a lot of great characters, but like, that, you're the one that touched me the most. You're the one that I just, I immediately gravitated towards. And at the end, I was just like that. I mean, there was a lot of great characters, no doubt about it. I just, your character resonated with me. It just, there was something, um, you have magnetism. You have that, whatever it is, you're drawn to you on screen. And especially in that role, um, I feel like a lot of people, that's why you're seeing the, you know, the the rising in your Instagram numbers and all these things, because I think that you're it's such a great character. It's memorable. You're a McFarlane toy for God's sakes, but um it's yeah it's so crazy it's so crazy i facetimed with arlo and penny they just got back to la from new york yesterday and i facetimed with them earlier and the mcfarland toy and the funko had arrived at the house uh in our absence and that we had ordered and so they were playing with them on oh, facetime man. for me showing me it was surreal to that say that is the cutest. So weird how hard is it honestly to work on a, I don't want to say James Gunn film, but a, a movie with so much action, with so much, with so much going on. Like how exhausting is it on a day-by-day -day basis? 
it's hard. It's exhausting. Luckily, it was such a huge ensemble that there was definitely downtime in between. Like you would work really hard for a few days on a scene and then maybe they'd be on to some other piece or it would be on to someone else's part of it, you know, and, um, but, and, and, and they were really good. I mean, James plans everything so thoroughly before you go into shooting and he works so intimately with his AD and his producers. So they knew they had such a great map of what we were doing that even though it was so huge and so massive and so overwhelming, like every day was 10 hours, we would get in there, we would work our asses off and make discoveries and then, um, go. I had not done anything physically like that before in, you know, there's a scene where thousands of gallons of water come flooding down on us and we're trying to swim against this massive yeah. torrent of water. There's stuff that you don't really see where we get dropped into the ocean um, and had to swim through like this crazy ocean that James had built. Uh, leave it to only James got, he could build an ocean in the middle of Georgia. Like, holy shit, dude, it was so crazy. Um, running with a cable and trying to like jump through the air. Uh, like I'm leaping from building to building. Like, it was crazy, dude. Yeah, it was insane. All right, this is called Shit Talking with Dave Desmalchian. Desmalchian. Okay, Shit Talking. This is Rapid Fire. Uh, Leanne P., these are my lovely patrons. They uh, support the podcast in many ways. I love them, and they just have quick questions. Leanne P., what has been your favorite character to portray besides Polka Dot Man? Probably Jude in Animals. Rightfully so. Rosie, what's your favorite moment of the set of Suicide Squad? My favorite moment on the set of Suicide Squad was when um, I had my big I'm a superhero moment and I got really scared and I didn't know uh, if I could get where I needed to get and all the moving pieces were going. It was a huge day in Panama. There's hundreds of crew. There's maybe 500 extras. There's Idris Elba standing next to me. It's like, oh my God, the pressure's on. And James, uh, who is booming voices coming through the God mic, which is, you know, reverberating all over, just like comes to me. We have this really beautiful conversation, just the two of us kind of underneath an awning where nobody could hear. And he got me really in the most beautiful way, like where I needed to be. And then I yelled, I'm a superhero. I'm a motherfucking superhero. And it was a, it was just a great moment and um and then boom yeah that was it <laughs> that's awesome matthew j hey david how has working on dune been compared how has working on dune been compared to other projects you've worked on in the past did you read the novels before you got uh cast and thanks i love your performances especially the one in prisoners Ah, oh, thank you, Matthew. I, um, working on Dune, as with every Denis Villeneuve experience, is um, something that's very hard to quantify. Uh, it's a dream as an actor. He is um, an actor's director for certain. He loves um, nurturing and giving you clues and bringing you along, but also allowing you to make discovery. He's um, intensely imaginative and... Um, I've been a fan of the Frank Herbert novel for a very long time. I also loved the movie when I was a kid um, and I hadn't seen it in a very, maybe when I was in college, I should say, I, I, I loved it when I was in college and, and I would get stoned and watch Dune. And I haven't <laughs> watched it in a long time, but um, 
I had read Dune, Children of Dune, um, and I was very excited. Um, that one just out of the blue fell into my lap. And when he told me he wanted me to play Peter DeFries, I was so excited. And um, it was hard. It was hard, I will say, because the character is a mentat who is a human who from the moment of birth has been raised um, to basically be a human computer, computational brain functions enhanced by the spice that is, um, you know, very data driven and, and, and just strictly computing and um, almost, and, and because he's twisted and he's been twisted by the, the bad guys, by the Baron, my character is also like, just it's kind of like, um, like a clinical sociopath computer. And um, that was, that was hard. Cause it's like emotionless. Oh yeah. If you're going to torture somebody, it's emotionless. There's no like, I'm getting revenge on you. Right. But and, and I'm glad you liked Prisoners. I think that's a beautiful film. And again, that's the movie I met Denis on. And I've been so lucky that he's now continued to cast me in his um, in his films. Raj, what is the biggest? I think we know the answer. Well, maybe. What's the biggest sacrifice you've had to make uh, to pursue an acting career? The biggest sacrifice I've had to make to pursue an acting career um, was... Um, Early on, I you you sacrifice all sense of stability and constancy. And as you're getting into recovery and mental wellness, one of the tenets of that is building for yourself a life that has a great deal of structure, constancy, um, consistency, um, because that's a safe place to exist when you have, you know, vacillating moods, when you have a propensity towards addiction. Um, so I took that leap, and um, and I'm really grateful I did. Uh, it can be hard, as I told you earlier in the conversation. Sometimes it's really hard, but I uh, I think that is it. And you you're exercising, you're doing all these things to like. When you get depressed, when you get down, you're at the last leg of this film. You you force yourself to get out of bed, like you said. I remember my therapist said, "What are you doing in the morning?" I go, "I lie in bed." well, how long do you lie there? And I'm like, well, I just keep lying there. And I, she goes, do you feel better? I'm like, no. What happens? I get anxiety. Why are you lying in the fucking bed? Get out of bed. Go do something. There are little basic things you're like, you know, so now I'm like, stop, out, you're out of bed now. Now it's not, you're not yeah. tired. Now you're just thinking you're in your head. Now it's time to get out of bed. There's certain things you do. What else yeah. do you do? Yeah, first thing I do right when I get out of bed is I have this YouTube channel that I subscribe to, Yoga by Cassandra, 10-minute daily yoga. I took the 10-minute challenge uh, a long time ago, and I've been doing it ever since. I hate yoga. Are you kidding me? I fucking hate it, but <laughs> I now I love it. It's been great. Uh, I love it. And you meditate, and uh, that's great. Well, look, dude, this has been awesome. I, I'm so glad you were able to talk to me. You're like how many hours ahead of me? uh nine nine hours so what so time is it there nine, for you nine nine p.m now do you yes. work do you work tomorrow i i i might work tonight actually i just saw a bunch of texts from the ad's that i've been ignoring um we're on overnights <laughs> you might work tonight and you're doing this podcast uh, I might. That's the, we're at that point too, where they're like, we had to move two thirty three to two, you know now we're doing two forty one and i'm like. I hate when they do that. Like you're supposed to know what 241 is, or like what scene numbers are what. Like 
Is is that the one where I'm fighting Dracula? Is that the one where so you have to I'm learn your you have to pretty much learn your lines, the whole script. You learn it before you get in there, so in case they switch around. You know what was helpful for this movie, and I have I do have a, a good number of lines in the in the film, even though my character is kind of a quiet guy. Um, working with my dialect coach meant we were going through the script before we even went into production. So I was more familiar with my text than I've been in a long time, which That's was nice. Great. Yeah. It was really nice. Um, so when things would flip-flop and when they would go, oh, you're doing that scene where you give that fucking speech today instead of next week, I'd be like, okay, okay, cool. You know? Isn't that something? And my, my dialect coach, they also, um, they recorded all of my lines, them saying it. So whenever, if I couldn't get a hold of them or if I had to do a scene like that, I would just skip ahead to like, and listen and be like, oh, that's right. Devil, not devil, devil. Devil. Or whatever. The, the devil. You know? yeah. The devil said this. <laughs> Jesus. Well, hey, man, this has been hey, awesome. Real quick, I got yeah. something. Because we, I feel like we breezed by this earlier. We were talking about Gary Oldman. Uh, David very famously had a scene with Gary Oldman. In the Dark Knight, and uh, I just want to hear what that was like. Oh, God. What was it like working with Gary Oldman? Great Cause, interjection. Because David had to play the unhinged one, and Gary Oldman had to be the straight man. <laughs> wow. Um, well, two stories of my... So the first day I was ever on a film set was The Dark Knight in Chicago. <laughs> I went into hair and makeup, and along the makeup line was Heath Ledger getting his Joker makeup put on, Gary Oldman, Christian Bale, oh Aaron God. Eckhart, me... Maggie Gyllenhaal and Nestor Carbonell. It was this really long hair and makeup oh. trailer. And I was like, so, and I met him briefly. He was super nice. He had the mustache. He was, you know, um, he was Gordon um, through and through. And then when I was in London, I got to go to London to shoot the the second part of my stuff, which is where Harvey Dent, you know, tortures me. And, um, or interrogates me and, um, Gary's trailer was next to mine and I used to smoke cigarettes and he was smoking cigarettes at the time. <laughs> so every time I'd hear him open his door to have a smoke, I would happen to just be open. I would be listening at the window, <laughs> like, and then the door would open and I'd be like, Oh, <laughs> fancy running into you again. How's it going? And he was Super cool, super nice, very chill, very, um, you know, unassuming, you yeah. know, uh, as Gordon is. I mean, he had that energy kind of while, and I don't know if that's how he always works, but he definitely felt, you know, like just this nice, quiet Midwestern guy, even though he's, that's not who he is in real life at all. He's my hero. He's my favorite he's actor man. of all time. He's, There's no doubt about it. He's a master. I remember I... My friend was working at Carmine's in New York, Carmine's restaurant, this Italian restaurant. And he, and he calls me on the home phone because, you know, they're wearing cell phones. And I'm living with three guys in a one bedroom. And he says, Gary Oldman is here. He just came in with Isabella Rossellini for dinner. I go, I'll be there in 20. So I didn't have much money, but I got a taxi, went across town. And I waited till they were done with dinner. And when they were done with dinner, about to get the check, I just walked up and I said, I just got to tell you, hi, Mrs. Rossellini, uh, Mr. Olme, you're my favorite actor of all time. And, you know, I just, I really love you. And uh, I just, you know, flew here from Kentucky from college and, you know, and he's like, you're an actor. And I said, yeah, yeah. He's like, 
you know, I've flown over Kentucky a few times. And I said, oh, that's great. He goes, and we'll work together. We will. And he just, but, but it was an intensity he had, that, in, that Gary Old intensity, Gary Oldman intensity that he just looked at me because I said, I really want to work. He goes, we will. We will work together. And I just, I'll never forget it. I'm like, to this day, I'm like, one day I'm going to work with Gary Oldman. I'm going to say, hey, you said we'll work together. And he goes, yeah, I don't remember that. But it's going to happen. Let's uh, manifest that. Manifest it, man. I mean, he's the best. He is the best. Um, favorite Gary Oldman Dude, movie. You're the best. This was like, this was great. I love that I got you inside of me finally. Finally. I, I feel like it feels really nice. It I does. Warm and <laughs> Toasty. Yeah. Listen, nice. you are so engaging. You're so open. You were so you're welcome to come on anytime. I love this. It's a long time coming. I wish you continued success. I love your family. I can't wait till you're back. Please invite me to a game night. I'm double vaxxed. I'd love to hang out with you. Cannot wait. All Cannot right. Wait. Cannot wait. All right. Much say love. say Thank goodbye you. in Polish with a Polish accent. Okay. Um, this was very nice conversation. Thank you very much. And bye. <laughs> I love you. Love you, man. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that. He got really personal, talked about his heroin addiction, which was pretty mind-boggling how he got out of that, how he survived. He's a survivor, and he works every day on himself. And it just shows, it comes to show you that, you know, you put the work in and you um, change your patterns and you change your behaviors that you could, you can change. Mm -hmm. You can change for the better, and he's got a pretty great life. But it's a work in progress. He's always working on himself. He says it never, it's not, it's not like it's easy. You have to do the work. Yeah. So thank you. And once again, if you want to join Patreon, patreon.com slash inside of you, give to the podcast a little more. I love sending boxes and little notes to uh, all the top tier patrons. I love uh, doing an occasional YouTube live. I like doing all sorts of shit with my patrons. I love you guys. Um, and remember, I'm going to be in Detroit the weekend of October 15th with Tom Welling. So we'll do a small little nights. We'll do some signings and all that jazz. And uh, another last shout out to my good buddy, Preston Christensen. Love the guy. Um, so I just want to give a shout out to him. And here are the top patrons. Let's do it. Cool. Nancy D, Leah S, Trisha, Sarah V, Little Lisa, Yukiko, Jill E. Yukiko's still with us. Look at that. <laughs> Brian H, Mama Lauren G, Nico, Jerry W, Robert B, uh, Jason W, Apothean, Kristen K, Amelia O, Allison L, Raj C, Joshua D, Emily S. I got to see a lot of these guys when I was in West Virginia. And oh, it was really? a real treat. I got to see a lot of patrons. Oh, nice. And it was wonderful. Um, CJP, Samantha M, Jennifer N. Mm -hmm. You're damn right. I'm damn right. Stacy L, Jen S, Jamal F, Janelle B, Carrie B, Tab of the 272, not to be confused with. Tab of the 273. Kimberly. Uh, e. Mike E. Eldon Supremo, 99 More, Ramira, Santiago M, Sarah F, Chad W, Leanne P, Janine R, Maya P, Maddie S, Shannon D, Belinda N, Kevin V, James R, Chris H, Dave H, Spider Man Chase, Sheila G, Brad D, correct, Ray H, Tabitha T, Liliana A, Turd K. Turd K? Yeah, that's Michelle. It's turd. It's turd something. It's turd burglar, turd Ferguson, maybe? Yeah, I said that last week. Turd Did Ferguson. Right? Yeah. Turd Ferguson. I think that's who it is. Michael S. Uh, Talia M. Betsy D. What up, Betsy? Claire M. Laura L. Chad L. Rochelle. Nathan E. Marion. Meg K. Janelle P. Trav L. Dan N. Lorraine G. Carrie H. Veronica K. Big Stevie. 
W. Kendall T, Angel M, Rhiannon C, Corey K. Here's the last list. Super Sam, Coleman G, Dev Nexon, Michelle A, Liz I. Is it I? Yeah. Straight line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jeremy C. Hi, Jeremy. Andy T, Cody R, Sebastian K, Gavinator, N H, David C, Elliot M, John B, Brandy. Uh, Carlisle. No, Brandy D. Yavor. Yavor. Camille S. Bono or Bano. Bono, Bano, Bano, Bano. The C, the C. Joey M, Willie F, Christina E, Adelaide N, Jeffrey M, Bridget A, Omar I, Lena N, and Design OTG. Without you guys, I don't know what I would do. You save the podcast. You help the podcast by being a patron and every patron out there that uh, gives to the podcast. So thank you very much. This has been a glorious episode. I loved having Dave Dusmalchin on the podcast. And uh, anything you want to say, Ryan? Are you doing well? I'm doing okay. You're doing okay? You've been traveling a little bit. I, I, I want to say I went to a concert for the first time. And it I saw your shirt. And this this band, Lake Street Dive, I saw them at the Will Turn. It was a va- proof of vaccination required and masked the whole time. And it was wonderful. Thanks for clarifying. It I was did. wonderful. Yeah. They were great. Yeah. Lake Street Dive. Lake giving Street them a Dive, shout out. Giving them a shout out. Also, God, just... Man, it was when I, when I brought a friend who had never heard of them before, and he was dancing the whole time, so it was really fun. Awesome. Awesome. I like good. hearing that. Good shout-out. Yeah. Uh, also, um, so you know, if you want any Sunspin merch, my band merch, or want to Zoom with me, go to sunspin.com. Um, you can get all your merch there. And if you want any Inside of You merch, go to Inside of You online store. You can get Lex Luthor stuff, small bu- Smallville lunchboxes. You can get all sorts of shit and a lot of Inside of You cool stuff, tumblers, autograph stuff. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spending uh, an hour of your day with Ryan and myself. Um, that's about all I got today, guys. So, um, you know, life's good. Keep keep moving. Keep going. I had, uh, let's just say a friend had some major problems this past week, and it got pretty dark, and uh, I'm glad I was there for that friend. And um, But it really, really was tough on me. It was tough. Um, I don't want to get into it, but I'll just say, it's good to be a good friend. If you got a good friend and you see some uh, behavioral things and you think they're going kind of sliding, going down the hill, talk to them. People just need someone to talk to, someone who actually sounds like they give a shit. Not mm-hmm. just like, how are you? You know how people always say, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Oh, great. Next time someone says, hey, you doing? Then we'll, we'll passerbys. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go, eh, I'm all right. Excuse me? <laughs> what? That was weird. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for allowing me to be inside each and every one of you from Michael Rosenbaum. And Brian Tails. Tails up here in the Hollywood Hills of California. Uh, You guys, much love to you. We'll see you on the flip side. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.